Welcome to the MCG Pediatric Podcast. This is Kate Peralta, and I am a pediatric resident here at the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. Today, I am joined by Dr. Alice Little Caldwell, who is a general pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. Dr. Caldwell is also on the executive committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics Committee on Tobacco Control. Thanks. It's great to be here. We will be discussing e-cigarettes, which have grown in popularity among youth and young adults. We'll address what e-cigarettes are, their appeal to youth, safety concerns, and ways the clinician can play a role in e-cigarette prevention and cessation. The link between smoking and poor health outcomes is widely known and accepted. Cigarette smoking rates have actually shown a downward trend from the 1970s going into the 2000s thanks to several landmark settlements, campaigns, and legislation. However, in recent years, there's been a major increase in tobacco and nicotine use in the United States. So what happened? The upward trend correlates with the introduction of a new tobacco-derived nicotine delivery product that came on the market in 2007. In 2003, a Chinese pharmacist developed the first-generation e-cigarette. He actually created this product after his father died from lung cancer as a safer and less toxic way to inhale nicotine. This product was originally known as an electronic nicotine delivery system, or ENDS, now known as an e-cigarette. So most of us have heard about e-cigarettes and vaping, but let's clarify to the listeners exactly what these terms refer. E-cigarettes are handheld devices that consist of a cartridge containing the e-cigarette liquid or juice, an atomizer or coil for heating the liquid, a battery, and a sensor. The device actually produces an aerosol, not a water vapor, from a solution that contains nicotine, flavoring chemicals, and other additives for inhalation through a mouthpiece. And vaping is the act of inhaling and exhaling the aerosol produced by an e-cigarette or a similar battery-powered device. What's concerning about e-cigarettes is that their use among high school students is increasing at dramatic rates. It more than doubled from 2017 to 2019, going from about 10% use to about 30% use. That's right. And what's even more alarming is that in the same time period, e-cigarette use among middle school students more than tripled from about 3% to 10%. Wow. Okay, Dr. Caldwell, to better understand what's going on among youth and e-cigarette use, let's start off with a typical clinical scenario. Michael is a 14-year-old male that comes to the clinic for his well check. During the visit, he tells you that all of his friends are vaping, and it's cool and harmless because it's just flavored water vapor. You counsel Michael regarding the myths and risk of e-cigarettes. He says he understands, but has only tried vaping once. He doesn't think he will continue because he needs to stay healthy to remain on the basketball team. Part of the goal should be to educate youth about the dangers of vaping. Identify patients who might be at higher risk for developing the problem before it escalates. This includes both middle and high school students. Ask about exposure to vaping. Ask whether the child has tried vaping or has an interest in vaping. This information is usually not readily mentioned, and it's important to directly ask these questions. Why do you think teens like Michael believe vaping is harmless? Unfortunately, part of the popularity of e-cigarettes revolves around the myths of safety of these products. Like I mentioned earlier, the e-cigarette is not a water vapor. It is an aerosol. The e-cigarette liquid comes in thousands of flavors that are sweet and dessert-like, such as candy, fruit, menthol, and spices, many of which are attractive to kids. However, these products still contain nicotine, which is the primary psychoactive ingredient in tobacco. Nicotine is highly addictive. It is known to boost one's mood, it may relieve minor depression, and may give the user a sense of well-being. 
Nicotine even stimulates memory and alertness. Continuous redosing prevents withdrawal. But the toxic effects and dependence of nicotine exposure leads to considerable poor health consequences for individuals. Many may not realize, but nicotine's acute adverse effects can be substantial. Symptoms include nausea and vomiting, abdominal pain, and excessive salivation. Nicotine can also be associated with high blood pressure and palpitations. Balance problems, tremor, headache, dizziness, muscle twitching, and even seizures can occur with nicotine exposure. In addition to nicotine, e-cigarettes include other chemicals that are inhaled, such as diacetyl and benzene. Also, because vapes work by heating the liquid, ultrafine metal particles such as lead, aluminum, tin, and nickel are being inhaled at the same time. That's right. Other numerous toxicants and carcinogens have been found in these liquid solutions, including aldehydes, tobacco-specific nitrosamines, tobacco alkaloids, and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. The research and data on the long-term health consequences continue to evolve. The lure of e-cigarettes in youths and young adults is part of the greater issue of tobacco use among this age group. Nine out of ten adults who smoke first tried smoking before age 18. What's more alarming is that according to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in 2019, about 30% of high school students were using some type of tobacco product. Of these high school students, the highest percentage of use was with electronic cigarettes, which is about 30% of students, compared with 6% using traditional combustible cigarettes and about 7% using cigars. E-cigarette use is generally greatest among adolescents and young adults and decreases with age in adults. Adult e-cigarette users tend to be previous users of combustible tobacco products such as traditional cigarettes. So why are adolescents at a greater risk for e-cigarette addiction? It all goes back to the adolescent brain, which is uniquely susceptible to the rewarding effects of nicotine, but also more vulnerable to the negative consequences of nicotine exposure compared to adults. That's a good point. After all, the brain keeps developing until about age 25. Yes, the effects of nicotine on the developing adolescent brain harms areas that control attention, learning, mood, and impulse control. As we mentioned earlier, nicotine is addictive. It also primes the individual for use of other addictive substances in the future. Another concern regarding the popularity of e-cigarettes is the targeted advertising aimed at youth and young adults. Receptivity to e-cigarette advertising, meaning liking and remembering advertisements, is associated with trying both e-cigarettes and cigarettes in the future. That's right. Advertisements for e-cigarette products are usually brightly colored with young, attractive people dancing, jumping, or playing while vaping. The vaping industry also advertises e-cigarettes as being safer and useful as cessation devices. Are there any benefits to using electronic cigarettes instead of combustible cigarettes? Unfortunately, even casual use of e-cigarettes in young people has the potential for addiction and for advancement to combustible cigarettes. E-cigarettes are not currently approved by the FDA as a quit smoking aid, and the research regarding this continues to be mixed. Let's go back to our patient, Michael. It's a year later, and Michael returns for his 15-year-old well-check exam. You recall in your office notes from a year ago that Michael had tried vaping in the past. In confidence, he admits to you that he is now using a Juul anywhere from one to two pods a day. He quit the basketball team and admits his grades are also starting to fall. He says his parents have no idea that he is vaping. Many vaping products on the market are now being disguised to look like common objects such as pens, flash drives, cigarettes, medical inhalers, mascara, and even wristwatches. 
Teens can use many of these devices discreetly, which allow them to vape undetected from parents and teachers. Juuling refers to a specific e-cigarette product called Juul that is particularly popular among youth and young adults. Many youth do not realize that almost all e-cigarettes contain nicotine and are highly addictive. Again, there is the misconception that they are inhaling water vapor. One Juul pod or cartridge contains more nicotine than a pack of cigarettes or 20 cigarettes. Juul also adds nicotine salts to the e-cigarette liquid, which allows more nicotine to be delivered with less throat irritation compared to free-based nicotine found in cigarettes. However, nicotine salts contribute to more frequent use and increase the potential for addiction. I'm really concerned that our patient Michael is juuling so often. As a healthcare professional, what can I do for this young man who is addicted to nicotine? And how do I do this in the midst of a busy clinic? Fortunately, there are many resources from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the American Academy of Pediatrics that are easily accessible online. These include educational curriculum, handouts, and resources for both providers and patients. Unfortunately, there are not well-established counseling and treatment regimens specific for e-cigarette use. Are there traditional tested methods used for smoking cessation that can be applied to e-cigarette use? The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends using the five A's, which were developed by the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Let's review each of these five A's, Kate. Sure. The first A is to ask every patient at every visit about tobacco or nicotine use. It's important to not just ask, do you smoke? Know the terms that teens are using. Ask, do you use vaping products like e-cigarettes or Juul? Have you used them in the last year? The second A is to advise every tobacco or e-cigarette user to quit. Provide clear, personalized guidance about the negative health impacts of tobacco use and vaping. Focus your words on the child as a primary beneficiary of smoking cessation. Consider what the adolescent finds important, such as how tobacco and vaping can affect their breathing, athletic performance, health, and appearance. The third A is to assess. Is the tobacco user willing to make a quit attempt at this time? This may be the first time someone has brought up the subject of quitting. The individual may not have even thought of it as a problem yet. Offer encouragement and assure youth that you are here to help them succeed. If the youth is not ready to quit completely, discuss strategies for cutting back and revisit the topic at their next visit. The fourth A is to assist. Use counseling and pharmacotherapy. Brief counseling delivered in as little as three minutes can be effective. Help the individual develop a practical plan to quit. Try to avoid stressful times such as final exams. Help the patient anticipate challenges including peer pressure and withdrawal symptoms. Social support from peers and family members is also essential. Help the patient identify these individuals. There are many other resources that clinicians can provide their patients for professional assistance for cessation. We will include these in our podcast description and our show notes. The fifth A is to arrange follow-up in person or by phone within the first week after the quit date. Create accountability. Make reachable goals for the patient. Staying in touch is important to success. Okay, so once again to summarize, the five A's include Number one, ask every patient at every visit about tobacco or nicotine use. Number two, Advise every tobacco and e-cigarette user to quit. Number three, assess the willingness to quit. Number four, assist. Use counseling techniques and potential pharmacotherapy for difficult cases. 
And number five, arrange follow-up in person or by phone within the first week after the quit date. For the busy practice, you can consider training other medical staff to screen and counsel patients. Be sure to know the appropriate codes to include for billing so that you can be compensated for the time you spend discussing tobacco and nicotine addiction during patient visits. Check out the link for our coding guidelines by the AAP in our show notes. Dr. Caldwell, part of the five A's included consideration of pharmacotherapy as part of treatment. What is the role of nicotine replacement therapy, also known as NRT, for those who wish to quit e-cigarettes? Good question. This is mainly reserved for youth who are moderately or severely addicted. NRT is a medication that addresses nicotine withdrawal symptoms by giving the user a controlled amount of nicotine, which can reduce the urge to smoke or vape. These come in different formulations such as the patch, gum, lozenge, inhaler, or nasal spray. Although these products have not been studied in adolescents for use in e-cigarette addiction, they are useful in treating nicotine addiction in adults. Is nicotine replacement therapy approved for adolescents younger than 18? NRT is over-the-counter for people 18 and older. Younger people must have a prescription from a physician. How successful are these forms of treatment? The American Academy of Pediatrics policy recommends consideration of off-label use for youth who are moderately or severely addicted to nicotine. The recommendation is to use a longer-acting form of nicotine, such as a patch, with a shorter-acting form, such as gum, lozenge, spray, or inhaler. The combination of nicotine patch and NRT gum or nasal spray results in 3.5 successful quits for every one in the no-treatment group, and at six months, more than one-third who had quit were still quitters. Would you say nicotine replacement therapy is safer than cigarettes, e-cigarettes, and other tobacco products? Yes, NRT delivers nicotine without the toxic chemicals and carcinogens of combustible cigarettes and e-cigarette aerosol. What about non-nicotine cessation aids? That's a good question. Many pediatricians may not be comfortable with prescribing these medications. There are two pharmaceuticals, bupropion, known as Welbutrin, and varenicline, known as Chantix, that have shown to be effective for adults. There is a black box warning for neuropsychiatric symptoms such as delusions, hallucinations, psychosis, concentration disturbance, paranoia, and confusion with these products. I understand these medications have not been approved for youth under 18. Limited research studies on pharmacotherapy for youth tobacco cessation have not demonstrated efficacy. True. However, there is no current evidence of harm related to using nicotine replacement therapy in youth under 18, according to the AAP. Can e-cigarettes serve as a tobacco cessation tool? E-cigarettes are not FDA-approved cessation devices. Studies have shown that using both e-cigarettes and traditional cigarettes during the quitting process is problematic. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force determined there is insufficient evidence to recommend e-cigarettes as a smoking cessation tool. Have there been any new approaches to vaping cessation that might appeal to youth? Each state has a tobacco quit line, which was established after the master settlement in 1998 between the tobacco industry and states to help individuals with tobacco cessation. In addition, the Truth Initiative has a website, This Is Quitting, and the National Institute of Health has a smoke-free teen website. An article published in 2019 in Nicotine and Tobacco Research showed that a low-barrier text message intervention to promote e-cigarette cessation is desired by and acceptable to young people. 
Another article published in Addictive Behaviors in 2021 delineates some of the differences between smoking and vaping, which may have an impact on whether methods of smoking cessation will work with vaping cessation. Yes, most participants in this study did not feel the same social stigma with vaping as with smoking and felt that there was not quite enough evidence about the harms of vaping compared to smoking to motivate them to quit. To many participants in the study, the nicotine effects were not the only benefits of vaping. The physical act of vaping, the discreetness, and the social benefits were pleasurable and stress-reducing. So, besides the addiction risks, are there any other safety concerns for those products? From 2015 to 2017, there were over 2,000 explosions and burns seen in U.S. emergency departments associated with e-cigarette devices. There have been over 8,000 liquid nicotine exposures reported among children from 2012 to 2017. A law enacted in 2015 required these liquids to be packaged in child-resistant containers. So what else is being done to help regulate e-cigarettes? Since 2009, the Food and Drug Administration has had the power to regulate the tobacco industry. This was extended to e-cigarettes in 2016. Since then, it is prohibited to sell e-cigarette products to anyone under the age of 18. Any new producer for e-cigarettes is required to submit a pre-market tobacco product application within two years. This application must provide scientific data that demonstrates a product is appropriate for the protection of public health. Wasn't there a delay in implementation of this process, which allowed e-cigarettes to remain on the market without pre-market review until 2022? Yes, in 2018, the American Academy of Pediatrics filed suit against the FDA for its delay. The court decided in favor of the AAP. Currently, applications of tobacco products placed on the market after 2016 should have submitted the application by September of 2020. Okay, let's go back to our patient, Michael. It's about three years after Michael's last visit with you. His mother calls to let you know that he's currently in the intensive care unit and on a ventilator for respiratory support. You are perplexed because Michael is previously a healthy athletic patient with no known underlying respiratory issues. His mother says that the medical team thinks it is related to his vaping habit. Dr. Caldwell, there has been a lot of press coverage on a respiratory condition associated with vaping that has landed many individuals in the ICU. Yes, health department officials across the country began recognizing severe, sometimes fatal, lung infections that arose suddenly in otherwise healthy individuals in 2019. The common thread was that all of these lung diseases were linked to vaping. EVALI is the name given by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is an acronym that stands for e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury. Individuals eventually diagnosed with EVALI presented with respiratory symptoms including shortness of breath, cough, chest pain, and hemoptysis. Gastrointestinal side effects included nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain, in addition to constitutional side effects of fever, chills, fatigue, and weight loss. That's interesting since all of those symptoms are similar to the symptoms of COVID-19 or influenza. That's right. Diagnosing EVALI can be challenging because there is not a specific test for EVALI. It's important to rule out pneumonia, influenza, and COVID-19 with bacterial cultures and nasal swab tests. An important part of the diagnosis is a history of vaping. So how many people were affected? Although the CDC has not been tracking cases since February 2020, 
There were 2,807 reported cases and 68 deaths from August 2019 until February 18, 2020. There continue to be new sporadic cases. Most patients ranged from ages 15 to 75 years old, and about two-thirds of patients were male. Those that died from complications of Avali had a median age of 49.5 years. How has e-cigarette use been linked to Evali? All patients reported using e-cigarettes with 86% reporting use of tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, in the e-cigarette liquid. Remember, THC is a psychoactive component of marijuana. Laboratory data support findings that vitamin E acetate is closely associated with Evali. Vitamin E acetate is used as an additive, most notably in THC-containing e-cigarette or vaping products. When inhaled, vitamin E acetate may interfere with normal lung functioning. I imagine that the COVID-19 pandemic took its considerable amount of attention off e-cigarettes. It would be interesting to know if there has been any relationship between smoking and e-cigarette use and COVID-19. Actually, an article came out recently in the Journal of Adolescent Medicine that studied whether youth cigarette and e-cigarette use was associated with COVID-19 symptoms, testing, and diagnosis. A survey of more than 4,000 adolescents and young adults found that there was a higher likelihood of a COVID-19 diagnosis for those that smoke cigarettes, use e-cigarettes, or use both. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Of course, our understanding of COVID-19 continues to evolve, so it will be interesting to see if there is substantial evidence of any link between the two. Okay, back to e-cigarettes. What else has been done to prevent use from accessing these products? In December 2019, the president signed a new federal law to raise the minimum age to buy tobacco to age 21. In January 2020, the FDA banned most pod-style fruit and mint-flavored nicotine products. However, this did not include menthol and tobacco-flavored pods or flavored liquid nicotine solutions for refillable tank-style e-cigarettes, nor did the ban include disposable non-refillable e-cigarettes. So there is still more work to be done. How has the vape industry responded? With all the bad publicity about the vaping epidemic and Juul's role, Juul removed sales of sweet, fruity flavors from the market in November 2019. With Juul unavailable in sweet, candy flavors, kids switched to disposable e-cigarettes like Puff Bars. They are similar to pod-type e-cigarettes like Juul but are for one-time use only and are disposable. They come in flavors that appeal to youth, such as Twinkies and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. In July 2020, however, the FDA issued warning letters to several companies, including the maker of Puff Bars, to remove flavored disposable e-cigarettes from the market. While Puff Bars are off the market, many other products, mainly flavored e-cigarette liquids, continue to be easily found elsewhere. Unfortunately, there are still loopholes in the system, and the vape industry continues to take advantage of this. So that's really unfortunate. Our hope is that the previous success of public policy and awareness of the dangers of cigarette smoking will work for e-cigarettes to prevent morbidity and mortality from these dangerous products. Well, Dr. Caldwell, it's time to wrap up our episode today. Do you have any concluding remarks for our listeners? Tobacco use among youth and young adults in any form, including e-cigarettes, is not safe. As healthcare providers, we need to counsel our patients and parents regarding the risk and dangers of e-cigarettes and vaping. Remember that the risk of e-cigarettes include nicotine addiction and initiation of combustible cigarette products. Safety risks include burns, explosions, and oral ingestion of e-cig liquids, as well as evoli. 
The research and data on the long-term health consequences of e-cigarettes continue to evolve. At every patient visit, ask adolescents if they are using nicotine in any form. Use terminology that kids understand. Ask parents if they are smoking or vaping. Discuss smoking, vaping, and secondhand smoke with new parents in the newborn nursery and with each well-child visit. Remember the five A's. Ask, advise, assess, assist, arrange. We should also continue to advocate for legislation to stop ads that are aimed at youth and young adults. Change displays and posters in convenience stores and gas stations. Restrict areas where people can vape and urge families to keep a tobacco and vape-free home and car. Thanks, Dr. Caldwell, for this very important discussion today. An additional thanks to Dr. Rebecca Yang, Dr. Lisa Leggio, and Dr. Zach Hodges, who contributed to today's discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, please email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remember that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any particular patient. Clinical vignette cases presented are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. We look forward to speaking to you on our next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.